0: How many of you had relatives that did not show up this year? And that really, okay, yeah, some of you, that's why it was a really special Christmas. We had a really good one. I was in Pensacola. Uh, My mom lives there and one of my daughters lives there. We are based in Kansas City. Our home church is Eagle Heights Baptist in Kansas City. That's Missouri. But I uh, long ago decided that birds have enough sense to head south for the winter. So should evangelists. And so because we live in a trailer, we usually head to the south when it gets cold. Well, all the more so when my mom and uh, daughter are there. So we were in Pensacola and went over to my daughter's house on Christmas Day. And it was really one of the best Christmases. Interesting, I I didn't really have a list of things I wanted. I mean, I like getting gifts as much as the next person. And I felt kind of guilty on Christmas Eve, because we started a thing years ago where we'll open a few stocking stuffers on Christmas Eve, and then we'll do gift opening on, on Christmas. So we were at our trailer on Christmas Eve. And the there was a little uh, frame around our giant slide-out. And now that we have, well, I have three daughters, my wife and I, that's five, and then my son-in-law, so we have six of us. And stockings hanging there, and there are presents all along. And I thought, wow, this is like Christmas Day for a lot of people, and this is just the, this is the warm-up. And so we got some nice things. I got some books and socks and some other things, and and we had nice treats that night. Good family time. Well, Christmas Day, we went over to my daughter's house, and uh, first thing we did was have breakfast well it's actually brunch because we didn't get there until like 10 45. i remember when the kids would wake up at 6 a.m those days are long behind us and so now like yeah we'll get over there later so we get there at 10:45, and uh i we said well let's let's get some eggs and bacon going and we had some cranberry orange bread and things like this and the bacon was frying so they said why don't we do the christmas story now the christmas account now so we went to luke 2 this time and we read it and we talked and we talked about i don't know probably 40 minutes about all the things we hadn't even opened a gift yet I thought, wow we are getting somewhere in the world where my kids are enjoying as much talking about the savior as you know the stuff we're going to get and yesterday i was at my daughter's church lighthouse baptist in gulf breeze florida we've been going there when we're in, in pensacola and um the pastor was preaching on when the wise men came to bring gifts to jesus and in my mind i had this this thought going Christmas presents or Christmas presents? You know, presents with a T, that's gifts. But presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, presence. His presence among us. What should be more valuable? I got thinking, how am I going to start off this camp? Here we are two days removed from Christmas. It was only two days ago, can you believe that? And too often we just kind of, okay, it's like Christmas wrapping paper, you know, it's pretty under the tree now, that's all gone, that's already at the dumpster. And we've moved on. But I don't want to move on too quickly. Why don't you go to Luke chapter 2 with me. One more time. Luke chapter 2. You've probably been there recently in your churches. How many of you had a Christmas Eve service at your church? Anybody have a Christmas Eve? Okay. How many of it involved um, candlelight? Anybody do a candlelight Christmas Eve? Okay. Heard about those couple of churches up in Mayfield, Kentucky, where that tornado just did horrific damage, and they had outdoor service. Imagine christmas eve service outdoors and uh and candles there would not just be for light but to keep you warm and think about all the blessings i was driving through alabama and mississippi today on my way over and where the hurricane had gone through recently and there are trees that are just snapped there are still buildings and signs that are all torn up and I thought, you know we often take for granted peaceful warm christmas days but man the lord daily that means every day loads us with benefits and it sure ought to evoke from us a, a feeling of gratitude. I drove on camp this afternoon. I hadn't been here in a while. And I'm looking at new buildings. I hadn't been in this building yet. And, uh, and then I saw the Christmas lights wrapped around the bridge out by the lake. And I thought, you know what? I'm glad we haven't moved beyond Christmas too quickly. Your parents ever say something like this to you? Maybe it was the, the heat of a moment. Maybe there'd been kind of a you know, little tiff going on. And they said, this is not the time or place to discuss the matter. Those of you who are married, maybe one of your, you know, your spouse said to you, this is not the time or place, you know, thinking children are in the room, okay. Did you ever in your little sassy way wonder, when is the right time or place? Have you ever noticed it's never the right time or place? How many of you ever thought that to yourself? Okay, sure. I want to preach you a message tonight I'm calling the right time and place. The right time and place. God's dealings with us are not arbitrary arbitrary means haphazard it's like if you took a gun and just shot bullets in the air <laughs> you're not aiming at anything you're just firing you're not really trying to hit anything God isn't just shooting blanks in the air God's not arbitrary he's precise in his dealings in fact we often speak of Providence in the old writings you'd see Providence with a capital P because it was a reference to God in fact our our founding fathers made repeated references to Providence what is Providence I remember when I was a college student, I sat under Pastor Jim Shetler. I went to Pensacola Christian, so he was at the campus church. Some of you knew him at West Coast Baptist College. Brother Shetler was my pastor, and he said, um, Providence is the hand of God in the glove of human affairs. The hand of God in the glove of human affairs. That's a pretty good description of God. The hand of God in the glove of human affairs. Think about this, if you have a glove... A glove by itself, just a piece of fabric, it it can't do anything. But when you put a hand inside the glove, whatever the hand does, that's what the glove does. Whatever action the hand takes, that's how the glove's moving. Providence is the hand of God in the glove of human affairs. Brother Mike mentioned tonight, there's a God in heaven who not only came to earth to become one of us, he came to redeem us so we could have a relationship with him. Tonight, we're going to talk about the incarnation. That's God became one of us. God became man. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the identification. I want to give you a message tomorrow. Who is Jesus? He's not just a babe in a manger. A lot of people go to church on Christmas because Jesus in a manger, that's, he's not real threatening. It's a little baby. Cute, wonderful story. But he didn't come to this earth to remain a baby. In fact, he didn't come to this earth just to be the most amazing human who ever lived. No, he is God who became man, That he might redeem sinners like me and like you so we'll get into that tomorrow but tonight i want to deal with the the right time and place luke chapter 2. luke 2 maybe you uh how many of you watched the charlie brown christmas okay you know linus i mean this is this is written way back in the 60s right back when i was born and uh linus hears charlie brown saying exasperation can anybody explain to me the real meaning of Christmas? You know, is it just tinsel and lights and gifts? And Linus says, I can Charlie Brown. And he takes him to this passage of Scripture, and here it is, Luke 2. Verse 1, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. All went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I call it the right time and place. Notice, there was no room for them in the inn. i got to think about this. Okay, if God's going to become man, you would think it would be humbling enough for God to become the most powerful person on this planet. I mean, if, if God were to become President of the United States, for instance, that would be humbling enough. But He didn't. In fact, He came to some unknown peasants. Mary, his mother, and Joseph, his legal father, his guardian father, not his genetic father, but his guardian father, they were peasants. They were poor. In fact, I asked asked my kids on Christmas Day, see how much they'd learned over the years, how do we know they were poor? We actually have a 25-year-old daughter, a 22-year-old daughter, and then an 11-year-old daughter. So I asked Lene, my youngest one, Lene, how do we know that Mary and Joseph were poor? She thought for a minute, she said, because the turtle doves that they gave at the temple. And when they went to offer, uh, to dedicate Jesus as an eight-day-old baby, he had to be, they had to bring an offering. Well, normally you'd bring a sheep, unless you were really poor. And the, the dirt poorest of people were allowed to give doves, if that's, how, if that's all they could afford. Mary and Joseph gave two doves when Jesus was dedicated. Wouldn't when, when you think God would do better than that for his kid? Wouldn't you think God would put him in a really nice family? Let me tell you, had Jesus become president of the United States, that would have been humbling enough. He became a child to the dirt poorest of people. Unknown people. And you remember the local people in that day said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's where Jesus came from. I grew up in New Jersey. You know, sometimes feel like Jersey, that's like the armpit of the world. <laughs> How you doing? Have you met my daughters? You know, I grew up near Philadelphia. We drank water with our meal. You know water? H2O? Water. Yeah, so I grew up in that part of the world. Like, you came out of New Jersey? Like, we didn't think anybody was saved in New Jersey. Yeah, I got saved in New Jersey. I sure did. Jesus grew up in a place where people thought nothing good could come out of Nazareth. Well, Why was it the right time? Let's, let's dive into this. If you want to take notes, I'll always give you a title. I'll give you a text. And I'll give you some points to follow along. I love it when people take notes. I started taking notes in high school. Hey, some of you guys think about preaching someday. Let me encourage you. Take notes when you hear a preacher preach. Some of you say, like, they're all over the place. That's okay. You'll learn how not to do it. But you'll also get some good ideas to write down, okay? And uh, it will teach you how to follow somebody's line of thought. It'll teach you how to organize your material. I'll tell you, best of all, you'll have stuff to go back to later on. You say, oh, that was a good message. And you don't have time to listen to a 45-minute message, you know, maybe. And where was that? But you got your notes there. And hopefully you'll take some notes, okay? So, the right time and place, that's the title. The text is Luke 2, 1 through 7. Let me dive into it. All right, the right time. Let's go to verses 1 and 2. It came to pass, In those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Stranius was governor of Syria. All right, so it's the right time. You might jot this down in your notes. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Okay, when the fullness of the time was come. You know, the fullness of the time. It's kind of like when a baby is about to be born. So Michael and Sarah Graham had a baby today. I remember when Michael Graham traveled with my family. We had... um, we did an internship and Michael traveled with us when he was uh, a college kid and he spent nine weeks with us. So now here Michael is married, got his own family and you know, uh, wow, okay, baby born like two days after Christmas. Woo! My, my daughter, Lynnae, was born when I turned 44. I remember. And so, so I'm obviously not 44 now. Uh, she's 11. So you can do the math. Okay, so I, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be great. She's an October baby. All right, so my birthday's October 9th. Well, her due date was October 4th. Well, October 4th came and went, no baby. The 5th came and went, no baby. The 6th came and went. And I said to my wife, hey, maybe the baby will be born. She said, don't even think about it. <laughs> you know why? She was great with child. You know what that means? Well, when our bo- baby was born, she weighed nine pounds, two ounces. This is a girl, okay? And uh, she was born October 7th, two days before my birthday. But, you know, when the fullness of the time was coming, it's like a woman in her ninth month, and, you know, it's time. Okay, we're there now. The fullness of the time is everything's right. It's not too early. It's not too late. I got thinking, how was God's Son being born in what we know as first-century Israel? How was that the right time? You think, man, they didn't even have television coverage back then. They didn't even have newspapers. They had the town crier that would come to the city, hear ye, hear ye, and that's how they'd make announcements. How was that the right time? I'll show you a couple reasons it was the right time. First of all, it was a time of worldwide power. If you're taking notes, put an A under that. A, worldwide power. The Roman Empire was reaching its zenith at that point, its highest point. Okay, now the Roman Empire would dominate the world for a period of decades. And at this time, the fellow named as emperor is called Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar means emperor. Augustus means honorable or venerated. It's like lofty emperor, elevated emperor, honorable emperor. It's like um, we address the president in our country as Mr. President. Okay, so whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or George Bush, if you were to meet them, the, the protocol is you would say Mr. President. Okay, well that's not their real name. Like I, people call me Brother Rich. I like that. That's uh, that's my favorite thing. But you know some people are real formal. Evangelist Tozer. That is a mouthful. Okay, that is my title. I'm technically Evangelist Tozer, but nobody calls me that. And you don't have to call me that either. Okay, I like Brother Rich. Paul was Paul, and I'm Rich. Okay, but President or Emperor—that was a title. The man's given name was Gaius Octavius. Gaius Octavius was actually the grandson or the nephew rather of uh, Julius Caesar he would be adopted, and Bible and uh, it was a Roman term where they would actually take someone sometimes not even part of their family but then they would give them all the rights of inheritance that they had well Gaius Octavius was Caesar's nephew Julius Caesar's nephew he became his adopted son so he's got this privileged position. He was the one who reigned from 30 B.C. to about 16 A.D. This is really interesting. The calendar we use is the Gregorian calendar. And I got to think about it today as I was writing notes and I was just making sure I knew what I was talking about on my dates. Everything prior to Jesus' life is B.C. And y'all remember what's B.C. mean? Before Christ, Yeah. Now, if you go to public school, it's BCE. You know why? Same reason people say happy holidays, because they don't want to acknowledge Christ. So they call it before the common era, and then there's after the common era, or CE is common era. You know why? Because they can't get around. It's still the same time period. It's when Jesus was born, okay? Now, Jesus was born, this is going to blow your mind, sometime between 6 and 4 BC. What? Oh, what? You're freaking me out. What do you mean? Oh, I do, I hated history. Okay, our calendar is a little bit off, and it always threw me for a loop. How, how, do you, how are you born before you're born? I mean, B.C., before Christ. Well, yeah, the, the rendering is a little bit off, but Jesus' actual birth was somewhere probably around B.C. 6 to uh, 4. That'll be interesting in a minute. And I got thinking, ah, couldn't they just get this right? You know, it's supposed to be the year of our Lord. Well, everything after that is going back to Jesus' lifetime. But thought is pretty pertinent. Jesus says, he's from of old, of everlasting. How could you be born before you were born? Because he always existed before he was born. It's just perfectly fitting that he was BC, born BC, because he always was. Now, Jesus is, everything before is B.C., before Christ. A.D. is from Latin. It means Anno Domini. Anno Domini means in the year of what? Year of our Lord. Yeah, the year of our Lord. So this is 2021. Okay, so it's about to be 2022. Amen. Uh, So year of our Lord, 2022. So Jesus was born roughly 2,000 years ago. Okay, so there's a worldwide power. Now, what had happened is Caesar Augustus comes, Gaius Octavius, comes to power, it was he who said of himself that he found Rome brick and left it marble. What did he mean by that? Well, let me ask you, what would be a more valuable building material, brick or marble? Marble. Okay, marble is really ornate. And in other words, he had this ambitious building program. He built bridges and roads and aqueducts and buildings. And uh, by the way, it's a huge infrastructure deal, but he knew something that our current administration hasn't figured out, It's going to cost you something. If anybody ever says, We got an infrastructure deal, it won't cost you anything, they're lying, okay, because it never costs nobody, it never costs people nothing. So he knew it's going to cost. I'm going to build these roads and bridges and aqueducts. But in order for governments to pay for stuff, what do they have to do? They have to tax the people. So there's a worldwide tax put in place. In order to tax people, they had to have a census. And a census is everybody registers so they can be taxed. See, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have telegrams. (laughs) They had telewoman. That's, you know, but that's about it. No telegram, no telephone, no telegram. So they got to get everybody to be organized. And how are they going to do it? All the heads of household, the men, were to go home to the city where they were born. So where did Joseph live, Jesus' legal father, at the time that they found out, Jesus was going to come into this world. Where was he living at the time? You remember? Nazareth, right. He lived in Nazareth. Where was his family from? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So guess what? They got to go back to Bethlehem. Now that is about 85 to 90 miles of hilly terrain. Now, you and I think 85, 90 miles. Okay, today, how long would it take you or me to go about 85? You probably say, it depends if my mom or dad's driving. But if 85 to 90 miles, how long would that typically take us today? About an hour and a half, okay? So that's because you're assuming you're driving. How did they get there? They walked, yeah. Now, how many of you have ever seen pictures of Mary on a donkey? Okay, we don't know if that's how they did it. That's probably how they did it. Because if I said to you, yeah, I went to Atlanta the other day. It took me, you know, five hours from Pensacola. And, well, if you looked at the map, I could drive it. You would assume I drove, okay? I didn't walk it. Would have taken me days to walk from Pensacola to Atlanta. All right, Mary and Joseph traveled by foot. Probably she on a donkey. The Bible didn't tell us that, but this likely. I mean, it's not, it's not a stretch to assume she traveled on a donkey. But can you imagine being nine months pregnant or at the end of eight months? We don't know exactly how long they were in Bethlehem before she was it was time, but she was great with a child. So uh, she'd already been to visit her cousin Elizabeth when she was six months along. So, so she's toward the end of the pregnancy here. And she's going 85, 90 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. I have never carried a baby. I'm sure you'll be amazed to know that. But I will tell you so that I cannot imagine having a, a fully developed babe in the womb now and you're traveling by donkey or on foot, You would think, why does it have to be now? Oh, the government just messes up everything. It was the right time. Wow. Worldwide power. Something else came into into, uh, reality at this point. Not only there's worldwide power, there's worldwide travel. Worldwide travel. See, because of these ambitious building plans that Caesar had they had built Roman roads all over the world. Have y'all ever heard uh, every road leads to, all roads lead to Rome? You know where that came from? That's why it's so important to pay attention in history, okay? History will really help you understand the Bible. All roads lead to Rome, because the Romans built this elaborate system of roadways. Listen, they built 50,000 miles of roadway. These are built by hand. I mean, they're, they're digging ditches, they're leveling ground, they're laying pieces of brick and stone together, 50,000 that's about how many miles of US interstate system we have. Now I've been on most of them. I've been to all 50 states. I have been in Alaska and Hawaii and all over and I will tell you something I've been on most every mile of US interstate. I'm sure there's some I haven't gotten. But I've been on most of them and I'll tell you something. We complain about it. I used to joke about coming across I-20 with my trailer used to be like it's gotten better over the years, okay? But as much as we complain about, we have a pretty nice system of roadway in America. In the Roman world, it was all dug by hand. In fact, there was one built 312 BC. They started even before this time period. 312 BC called the Appian Way. It's still used today. They still use that road. 300 years before Christ, they built it. And so there was roadway was spread all over the world. Well, why did they build the roads? Well, a couple of reasons. To speed troop movement. If you're going to conquer the world, you got to move your army around also to facilitate, to accommodate a postal system. that actually had letter carrying, letter delivery back then. And to allow ease of travel for people. Oh, another reason it was the right time, talking about travel. It was a period called Pax Romana. Pax Romana, Latin for um, world peace, worldwide peace. And it was a time, though the Romans could be brutal. Yes, they did crucify people, not just Jesus. They, they, they did mete out capital punishment in very cruel ways, but there was relative peace in the world. You could travel fairly safely from one place to another. It had never been so up until that time. So, time of worldwide empire, world power, worldwide travel, but also worldwide language. Worldwide language. Now, let me see wh- how many of you have studied. Uh, what was the universal language of the world? you got to be thinking here, during the Roman Empire. I heard somebody say Greek. How many of you knew Greek was the worldwide language? Yeah, 325 BC Alexander the Great came along and he conquered the world. The the Roman Empire was preceded by the Greek Empire. The Greeks had conquered the world. Greek became the worldwide language. It would be a lot like English today is a worldwide trade language. Um, Manuals are written in English. You can go around the world. I've been to 48 countries around the world, and I can tell you, in most places, you can get by if all you know is English, and it's a good thing because that's all I know is English, right? And you can get by because next to their language, they'll often have English equivalents. Uh, Manuals are written, education is given in English. It is today the worldwide language because of going back to the British Empire. Well, in that day the Romans came in after the Greeks had conquered the world. And Alexander the Great standardized language. In fact, the more um, formal Greek was made uh, into a dialect for the common people called Koine, K-O-I-N-E, Koine. You say, why does that matter? That's the language our New Testament was written in. Oh, interesting. After Alexander conquered the world, the Old Testament Hebrew was translated into Greek. That was known as the Septuagint. So there was a Septuagint translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and then there was the worldwide Koine Greek to give us the New Testament. You say, okay, so like, so far, Brother Rich, all we got is like a history lesson. Yeah, because this is really important, gang. History is his story. History is his story. And I'm showing you from history tonight that Jesus' birth at that time, at that place, it was the right time, it was the right place. It's the right time because of worldwide language, worldwide travel, worldwide power. Now, what made it the right place? Well, I want you to pick up with me. Go back to Luke chapter 2. All right, so not only the right time, but the right place. Look at verse 3. All went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee. That's the region where Nazareth was in the northern part of Israel. He went from Galilee into Judea. That'd be like a a state or a parish. Okay, so if you're in Louisiana, you may not be from the same parish. In fact, what parish are we here? Biento? Oh, Bienville. Yeah, okay, good. (laughs) Bien. Bien. Okay, so as I was driving across Louisiana today, I noticed parish signs were changing. Interesting, there are counties in most of America. In this state, there are parishes. That's the Catholic influence. Okay, so you're divided into parishes here. Well, you may be from Louisiana, but I'll tell you, you live down in New Orleans. It's a lot different than living up in Shreveport. Okay, Jesus was from the region of Galilee. That's where he grew up. But they go down to Judea. That's the region where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is the biggest city in Israel. And right outside is Bethlehem. About 10 or 12 miles away is Bethlehem. That's where he's going to be born. Now, Jesus would have had no reason to go to Bethlehem except this worldwide census. Now, why is that significant? Go back to Matthew 2 for a minute. Mark your place in Luke. Don't lose that, all right? But go to Matthew chapter 2, verse uh, 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have heard his star in the east and are come to worship him. Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he gathered all the chief priests, the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem Judea. For thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem in the land of Judah." are not least among the prophets of Judah. For out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. How many of you in your Bible have this note, Micah 5, verse 2? How many of you have that in the footnote or the margin of your Bible? That is where that quote comes from. Book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And I I wrote it out so I wouldn't have to turn here. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata. Bethlehem is the Hebrew name that means house of bread. It's actually Bethlehem. Okay, house of bread, Bethlehem. Ephrata, that is the Aramaic name that also means house of bread, Bethlehem, Ephrata. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth to me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Interesting. That was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Now, I want to ask you, uh, roughly how old is the United States of America, do you know? 250 or so, right, okay. So we've only been around for less than 300 years. Now there were colonies here in the 1600s and such, but you know, we, as a nation, we've been in existence about 250. Think about this. Do maps change over hundreds of years period? Do regions, do names of cities sometimes change? Yeah, I remember going to uh, Caesarea Philippi in uh, Israel. Today it's called Banias. Well, back then it was called Caesarea Philippi because Caesar, Philip, named it that. And so Caesarea Philippi, well, they call it Benias today. It changes over years. Stuff changes. 700 years before Jesus was born, it was said the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Oh, by the way, anticipating there would be two. There was a Bethlehem in Ephraim, and there's a Bethlehem in Judah. And the prophet said in Bethlehem, Judah, he'll be born. Yes, uh, sorry, two days ago, as we sat around touring Christmas to talk about this, I said to my girls, I spent some time Christmas Eve just in my own devotions reading through the Matthew 2 account and thinking about it. Okay, in Matthew 2, he says that he's born in Bethlehem. Later on, it says that um, I have called my son out of Egypt. And then it ends the chapter by saying he'll be called a Nazarene. (laughs) Which is it? Is he from Bethlehem? Or is he from Egypt? Or he's from Nazareth? Yes. All of those are true. You talk about the statistical impossibility of that being true. Yeah, his parents were from Nazareth. They would eventually move back there. But the taxation caused them to have to go back to be born in Bethlehem. Oh, and later on, Herod says, rival, king, nothing. Kill all these babies, two years old and under. And so, The angel of the Lord warns them, flee from Bethlehem, go to Egypt. And he stays there till Herod dies. And he says, I've called my son out of Egypt. So he's born in Bethlehem. He came out of Egypt as a child. And he spends his early life until his adulthood up in Nazareth. All of it comes true. You know what prophecy is? Prophecy is pre-written history to prove to you that God's claims are true. They are from God. We have tons and tons of prophecy in the Bible already that's been fulfilled. And there is so much more yet to be fulfilled. Well, how do we know it will? He's already fulfilled all the other to the T. And He's going to fulfill everything He ever said. Okay, so, it's the right time. It's the right place. Bethlehem. Isaiah 46.11 says this, Calling a ravenous bird from the east and a man from a far country to execute all my counsel. Now, I remember in the... um, previous presidency some people were saying oh how could god use a person like trump i mean he cusses and he's immoral and and now some of us are saying how could a god in heaven use a guy like he's using right now god says he calls a ravenous bird from east you know what a ravenous bird is the stem is the word raven remember when he fed elijah with ravens guess what if you're a jew were ravens on the list of clean or unclean animals unclean that doesn't mean dirty that means not kosher to eat okay He uses unclean animals and pagan people to accomplish his agenda. Amazing. So he used Gaius Octavius to cause there's gonna be this census. Okay, now this edict was actually given sometime around, it was eight BC, it was originally given, everybody was supposed to be taxed. However, Herod is in a jurisdiction where he knows the Jews are not real fond of him. And by the way, they do not wanna be paying taxes. Who does? But they particularly don't want to pay taxes because they were abused by the tax collectors. I mean, they milked them for more than they should have ever been paying. And so Herod put it off and put it off. The the taxation actually occurred sometime between, or the census, between 6 and 4 BC, which is the time frame when Jesus was born. So all this is coming to play. Now, I want you to see one more thing. There's the right time. There's the right place. But number three the right decisions. The right decisions. We're in Matthew now. Look at Matthew chapter 1, and let me dive into verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And you're saying, what does this all have to do with me? You're going to see here in a minute. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, a spouse, that's a word similar to engagement. It would be stronger than engagement, but they weren't living together as husband and wife yet. A spouse, they were legally betrothed before they came together. So before they went on the honeymoon, she was found with child. Oh, wait a minute. What? She's pregnant. They haven't had a honeymoon yet. Yet yeah, what is going on? Joseph must have wondered that. He knew Mary to be a righteous woman. He knew Mary to abide by the law. But you don't just get pregnant thinking about it. He thought, Mary, have you been unfaithful to me? I got thinking about this. History tells that Mary and Joseph were most likely, he was probably somewhere between 14 and 16 years old when all this happened. She was about 13 or 14. What? Yeah, there was no adolescence back then. You went from 12-year-old to a man. You know why? You weren't on PlayStation all day. You weren't uh, just doing TikTok videos. You, you went to work. <laughs> There's some... Uh, There's some lessons in all this. Work and maturity have something to do with each other. So they would go off to work. The girls would work with their moms at home. The the guys would work with their dad. They would learn the dad's trait. By 13, 14 years old, she is going to be a mother, and he is going to be a father. And this is the first time, I mean, this is normal in that time. People were married young. But I want you to think about the maturity of kids in their early teens and decisions they have to make. She's with child. Oh man, what's going through Joseph's mind? Now wait a minute. With child of whom? Of the, yeah, of the Holy Ghost. You Remember Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 said, Behold, a virgin shall, be, or shall conceive and bear a son. How does a virgin conceive? It'll be a miracle. And it was. Keep going. Verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Okay, now what does that mean? If a woman was unfaithful to her husband, if, if they'd already been married and living together, she could have legally been stoned to death. Be- stoned. Now, I'm not talking about people on drugs, okay? We're not talking about pot and CBD and whatever else. We're not talking about people getting high. St- they would pummel them to death with rocks of public stoning. That could have. If they'd already been married, there was an exception during this period called betrothal. There was an exception. If she had been unfaithful before they came together as man and wife, he could privately put her away. So that's the option he's going to take here. It's like I don't want to humiliate her, but now think about this. He must feel betrayed. If we went purely by emotion, what's he thinking? She betrayed me. So that's why God's going to unravel all this. But this is why you cannot operate first on emotions. You need to operate in life on principles. How many of us have ever operated in the impetuousness of emotions and we later regret it? Okay, so keep going. Verse 20. But when he thought in these things, while he thought in these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take to thee, Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took to him his wife, and knew her not, he, they didn't come together in the physical way, till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I got thinking, what what were Mary's parents thinking? What were Joseph's parents thinking? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us any of that. It's incredible that these two follow God to the T. In fact, the decisions I I wrote down here, Joseph's decision, he was willing to bear public shame, willing to trust Mary and God when his emotions must have been telling him otherwise. And, And then there's Mary's decision. Luke chapter one and I won't take time to read but from verse 25 down to verse 38 the Lord comes says you're going to bear the Messiah she says how's this going to be seeing I know not a man I haven't had a physical relationship with a man how can I have a baby and the Lord says the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, that which shall be conceived in thee shall be of the Holy Ghost and she says this behold the handmaid of the Lord you know what that means that's a female slave Put me in the slave market for the Lord. A handmaid, a a bond servant would typically be a voluntary thing. If you wanted to be indentured to a person for the rest of your life, they'd take you out to the barn door. They'd drive an awl through your ear. (laughs) Back then, pierced ears meant you were somebody's slave. And so they'd drive the awl through your ear. And that was a a sign that you were indentured to them. You were a, a servant to them. Mary said, hear my Lord. I'm your servant i never forget when I was in high school, my coach said this to us. Every decision you make affects the next decision you make. That's really good. You might write that down. I want you to think about it. Every decision you make affects the next decision you make. What if Joseph had said, no, hey, I'm not taking this woman. She has betrayed me. Or even if he said, well, I believe you, God, but nobody else is going to believe me. They're going to think I did it. What if Mary said, no, I'm not, I'm not marrying Joseph. She wouldn't end ended up in Bethlehem, would she? Why did she go to Bethlehem? Because that's where who was from. Joseph's family was from there. My coach used to say this, every decision you make affects the next decision you make. And then remember this, you will be what you are becoming. You will be what you are becoming. Do you hope to be a mature, responsible person someday? Yeah, I hope so then become one right now. Guys, be a man. Ladies, embrace your femininity. Embrace what God has made you. Realize God made them male and female. Hey, I, listen, I've, I've got news for you. There are not 150 some genders out there. There are two. God made them male and female. Isn't it nice? It's really simple. By the way, that's why there's an XX chromosome and an XY chromosome. And there aren't other combinations. That's it. God made you who you are. But what if Mary and Joseph said, oh, I didn't sign up for this? Every decision you make affects the next decision. Oh, by the way, she had kept herself pure. Behold, a what? She'll conceive a virgin. What if Mary had been the kind that when she became a teenager and she's playing around with her emotions and she and her boyfriend had pushed it too far and <laughs> she wasn't a virgin now. Every decision you make affects the next decision you make. Now I know even saying that in our world, some of you are thinking, yeah, I've already done that. I guess, I, I guess there's no hope for me. Thank God the reason Jesus came into this world was not only to save sinners, but to cleanse sinners there is hope for you no matter where you are in your experience of innocence or loss of innocence. But I will tell you this, decisions made are so important. I want to finish with this. It's one of the most amazing stories I've ever shared in a closing illustration. It's called The Tablecloth. It is a true story. Listen to this. The brand new pastor and his wife were assigned to their first ministry to reopen a church in suburban Brooklyn, New York. They arrived early in October, excited about their opportunities. When they saw the church building, it was very run down and needed much work. They set a goal to have everything done in time to have their first service on Christmas Eve. They worked hard repairing pews, plastering walls, painting, etc. And on December 18th, they were well ahead of schedule. Just about finished. On December 19th, A terrible tempest, a driving rainstorm hit the area and lasted for two days. On the 21st of December, the pastor went over to the church building. His heart sank when he saw the roof had leaked, causing a large area of plaster about 20 feet high by 8 feet wide to fall from the front wall of the sanctuary just behind the pulpit, beginning about head high pastor cleaned up the mess on the floor and, not knowing what else to do but to postpone the Christmas Eve service, headed home. On his way home, he noticed a local business was having a flea market kind of a sale for charity, so he stopped in. One of the items there was a beautiful handmade ivory-colored crocheted tablecloth with exquisite work, fine colors, and a cross embroidered right in the center. He thought it might be just the right size to cover up the hole in the front wall of the church. So he bought the tapestry and headed back to the church building. By by this time, it started to snow. An older woman returning from the opposite direction was trying to catch the bus. She missed the bus. So the pastor invited her to wait in the warm church because the next bus wouldn't come along for 45 more minutes. The woman sat in a pew and paid no particular attention to the pastor while he got a ladder, Hangers, etc. And he put up the tablecloth on the wall as a tapestry. The pastor could hardly believe how good it looked, how beautiful, and it covered up the entire problem area. Then he noticed the woman walking down the center of the aisle. Her face was like a sheet. Pastor, she said, Where did you get that tablecloth? The pastor explained it to her. The woman asked him to check the bottom right corner of the tablecloth to see if the initials E, B, G were crocheted into the corner. They were. These were the initials of that woman. She had made that tablecloth 35 years before in Austria. The woman could hardly believe the pastor had just gotten that tablecloth from a flea market. She explained how before the war, she and her husband were well-to-do people in Austria. When the Nazis came, she was forced to leave. Her husband was going to follow her the next week. She was captured, sent to prison, and never saw her husband again or her home. The pastor wanted to give her the tablecloth, but she made the pastor keep it for the church. The pastor insisted on driving her home. That was the least thing he could do. Well, she lived on the other side of Staten Island and was only in Brooklyn for the day doing a house cleaning job. What a wonderful service they had on Christmas Eve. The church was almost full. The music and the spirit were great. At the end of the service, the pastor and his wife greeted everyone at the door and many said they would be back. One older man whom the pastor recognized as being from the neighborhood continued to sit in one of the pews and stare. The pastor wondered why he wasn't leaving. The man asked him, where did you get that tablecloth on the front wall? Because it was identical to the one his wife had made years ago when they lived in Austria before the war. How could there be two tablecloths so much alike? He told the the pastor how the Nazis had come and they forced his wife to flee for her safety and how he was supposed to follow her, but he was arrested and put in prison He never saw his wife or his home again, all those 35 years in between. The pastor asked the man if he could take him for a little ride. They drove to Staten Island, the same house where that pastor had taken the woman just three days earlier. He helped that older man climb three flights of stairs to the woman's apartment. He knocked on the door. And he saw the greatest Christmas reunion he could ever imagine. Wow. Think about all the things that had to happen for that to occur. Pastor and his wife working hard. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service. They're ahead of schedule, a week ahead. Man, this is great. Why did God let the roof spring a leak? Big old hole. Oh, oh, we'll postpone Christmas. Oh, flea market. Oh, what do you know? Look at this tap. Hey, it's got a cross on it. Perfect. Woman just happens to miss the bus as it just happens to start snowing. The pastor just happens to invite her inside. It happens to be a 45-minute period of time, so he has enough time to put that thing up. She says, that looks awfully familiar. Do the initials EBG happen to be there? She won't take the tablecloth. She's going to keep it for the church. He said, well, I can at least drive you home. He would have never known where she lived if she'd taken the bus. He drove her home and it just so happened that they did have that service on Christmas and it just so happened that that husband showed up and recognized the very tablecloth. He said, that blows my mind. Let me tell you, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Let me tell you something. Providence is the hand of God in the glove of human affairs. God doesn't do things indiscriminately. God has a perfect time. It is not by accident that you came to this winter retreat. You might be saying, I came to meet girls. I came because I'm bored. We're out of school. I came because there ain't nothing else going on in my house. I came because we have a house full of relatives might be a lot of reasons you came but I'll tell you what God's got a reason you're here and the foremost need of your life is to come to know the Lord Jesus I'm gonna give you a message tomorrow Lord willing who is Jesus But I'll tell you you know enough right now to know this God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved I wrote my journal the other day. First John 4.9 is the, really the summary of why Christmas matters. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us and that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's why Christmas matters.